many of you understand the fact that uh, it's, it's easier to be followers of God when everybody around you follows God, right? You know, uh, you go and you hang out with your family, and your families, they're not believers in Yeshua, and you know that uh, often it can be a little tense, depending on your family. Uh, it's fascinating. I think I was telling Carl about this uh, not too long ago. Well, I mean, for years now, really. But when I can almost guarantee that when I go to, when we go to a family event with her family who lives around here, they will never talk with me about what I do for a living. <laughs> never. No interest. Don't bother. It's okay. You know, because they don't, they're not religious, you know. They're not observant, really. They, they, they're not interested in any kind of discussion which could point out their lack of religious observance, really. And so it makes it a little tense from time to time. Uh, but I think that in the general reality of the world in which we live, uh, there's morals and values and expectations that God has of us that collide with the real world, Right? Uh, in the business world, the business world is most often expediency. What is necessary in order to make a buck? All right, Morals, ethics, at times adjust and bend in order for, for profits to grow. Uh, I want to read a little story here. A little illustration about silver. In the early 70s, amidst political upheaval, inflationary pressures, and stagnant economic growth. Anybody remember the 70s? A few of you do. I was just a child when this occurred. The richest family in America at the time, the Hunt family of Texas, tried to corner the market on precious metals as a way to hedge themselves from the rampant, from the, uh, rampant printing of dollars the U.S. government was doing. The Hunts decided to accumulate large amounts of hard asset investments. Since gold could not be held by private citizens back then, thanks to Roosevelt, the Hunt brothers focused on silver. In 1979, the Hunt brothers, along with a group of wealthy Arabs, formed a pool buying silver and silver futures. The Hunt brothers used their positions in silver futures to acquire more of the physical metal. As cash was continually, lo continually losing value due to inflation, the Hunts decided to settle their long silver future contracts with delivery of silver instead of cash settlement. Before too long, they had amassed over 200 million ounces of silver, which was about half of the world's supply. Prices soon began to appreciate. When they started, the price of silver was below $5 an ounce. By late 1980, prices had increased tenfold and were trading near $55 an ounce. During this rise in prices, the Comics and the Chicago Board of Trade only had about 120 million ounces of silver between them. And if you know anything about commodities, you'll know that that was like a really freaky weird thing. All right, because those are huge institutions. Uh, as prices went along and new buyers got into the market, the exchanges became increasingly fearful of defaulting. As the Hunts owned 77% of the world's silver, either in physical form or future contracts, the markets had been cornered. Things began to change once Paul Volcker was named chairman of the Federal Reserve. This was during the Reagan era. Okay, 
Volcker was determined to get inflation under control by raising interest rates. Couple that with changes in trading rules at, at uh, Chicago Board of Trade and the COMEX prices soon plummeted. Things had gotten so out of whack that the COMEX was accepted, only accepted liquidation orders, effectively halting silver from going higher. The Chicago Board of Trade set limits on the amount of silver anyone entitled, any one entity could hold and raised margins. Not surprisingly, prices came down significantly quickly and were trading near $10 by the end of March 1980. The precipitous drop in prices made huge losses for many speculators and ultimately forced the Hunt brothers into bankruptcy. By the mid-1980s, the Hunt brothers had more than a billion dollars in liabilities they could not meet. At their peak, the Hunt brothers had held over $4.5 billion in silver on their $1 billion investment margin. <laughs> Kill you every time. On March 25, 1980, the Hunt brothers couldn't meet their $135 million margin call, forcing the Hunt brothers to shut it down. In August of 1988, the Hunts were convicted of conspiring to manipulate the market. Wow. Wow. You know, sometimes doing business, you kind of toss away the ethics and the morals in pursuit of the goal of accumulation. Accumulation. And uh, yet, working is critically important. You know, we were talking last night at Shabbat dinner with some of you. You know, you're getting jobs. You're making money. You're accumulating wealth, hopefully, unless you're spending it all frivolously, which you should not be doing. And it's good. Working is important. It's a, it's a sign of growing up, being personally responsible. At the Aliyah, I know Mike is going to share about finance and the importance of, of handling it appropriately as young adults. I think it's critically important. Uh, I think young adults today are inadequately prepared to, to have money because they don't know what to do with it. Uh, budgets, it was an interesting, uh, uh, I think it was on the radio, you know, 35, 40% of Americans don't budget at all. Part of being an adult is learning to handle the resources that God has blessed you with. If you are a follower of the Messiah, Yeshua, then you do understand that everything you have comes from God. Not just your wealth, but also your job. Also, just really everything. And so, knowing how to handle it properly, having a proper biblical perspective in regards to work, resources, it's very important. And so, uh, we can honestly say that knowing God, really truly knowing God, should lead us to pursue godliness, really should lead us to applying what we know from the biblical text into every part of our lives. And that really means the mundane reality of the day-to-day. -day. Going to work for 35, 40 years of your life, Things of what was it? Lindsay last night said she found her dream job? Or well, you said you found your dream job. In 25 years, you could say, Oy vey, what did I do to myself? But to realize that part of being an adult is a work a day reality that hopefully you will enjoy because you're in the center of God's will. But it will force you to have a proper mindset. It will force you to take the reality of what you know in the biblical text and apply it in your day-to-day -day life. So we're going to take a look at the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
Matthew left his phone up here to try and get me to be on time. So just wave at me at about five minutes to 12. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, we're just, we're, we're not going to go into a lot of depth here. I just want to share a couple of principles from the text and then uh, bring it to conclusion. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Here we read about the basic instruction, basic instructions concerning work. Uh, it says, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1, page 1140. Let all who are under the yoke as slaves consider their own masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. And let those who have believing masters not res- disrespect them because they are brothers, but serve them even more, since those who share in the benefit are believers and loved. Teach and encourage these things. Now, of course, Shaul here uh, Paul is referencing slaves because in the Roman Empire there were an awful lot of slaves. And many of those who were becoming believers were from the lower classes. So they either had experienced slavery or they currently were slaves. All right? And so this is, this is the basis of this discussion right now when it comes to employment. How many of you feel like you're a slave to your job? My wife does. Yeah, Todd does. Yeah, it's a Culver's. Ah, yeah. No, the reality is, is that depending on your job, you know, you might feel like, like your employer is, is a tyrant or you hate the position or whatever. But really employment should break down into two things. Either you are working for someone who is not a believer or you are working for someone who is a believer. That's biblical understanding. Remember, working is exchanging your time for resource. Working is exchanging your time for resource. And if you are a follower of the Messiah Yeshua, hopefully you have accepted a position, whatever it is, whether it's working part-time someplace or working full-time in a career, you have submitted to God's will for your life, and you are doing what you are doing because you are working... You are seeking God's pleasure for your life. You know, a long time ago in ministry, there was a joke or a statement. This was back years ago when I worked for a different organization. Uh, The phrase was, they pretend to pay us, we pretend to work. They pretend to pay us, we pretend to work. And it was a... It's a... it's, a sad, it's not a good statement. Some people have that mentality in all their employment. All their employment. They feel like they're always underpaid and underappreciated in whatever position they find themselves. And we need to understand that as followers of Messiah Yeshua, wherever you find yourself employed, that if you've been seeking God with your life, you're there for a reason. You need to be the best worker you can be. Don't complain about your income. If you don't like how much money you make, all right, get a better job. Seek God's leading. Put out your application to get better work. But if you have a job, you need to be a good example of an employee. You need to bring glory to God in your workplace by your employment, all right, by the diligence of it, all right. Uh, if you happen to work for someone who is a believer, all right? If you happen to have an employer who is a follower of God, too often, though, people take advantage of those circumstances. Well, he's a believer. He knows he's got to be nicer to me. Well, you know, it's interesting. Shaul speaks to this and says specifically, don't take advantage of those people. 
Don't take advantage of them. You know, and I've heard this time and again. You know, I'd rather not hire somebody from the, the congregation. Or I'd rather not, you know, have a contractor who's a believer do work for me or do whatever. You know why people say those things? Is because among believers at times, we take advantage of one another. That's wrong. If you're an employee of someone who is a believer, you need to work more diligently glorifying God for the opportunity to be able to bless your employer with greater income. So, Justice, in your particular situation, you need to even work more, more longer hours, you know, so to bring greater profits to the family business, okay? But if you've never thought about it before, you need to understand that if you have been seeking God's will for your life, and you are in a job situation, you want to bring glory to God by being the best darn employee you can be. Especially if someone is a believer. So that the profits can be even better, and the company can do even better. Okay? It's uh, just a very simple principle that sometimes as believers we don't do. And I would say in ministry, some of us in ministry who've served God, we have the privilege of being able to actually have tons of time available to serve God. That too often this, this, this statement of they pretend to pay as we pretend to work is, is something that's a mantra in religious circles. I don't know if it's like that in Israel, Shachar, but in America sometimes it's like that. We who have the privilege of serving in, in, in religious work, vocation need to be the hardest workers of all. Because you know who we serve? God. We don't serve money. It's not about the money, as we're going to talk about in a minute. It's about fulfilling the calling. All right? And, uh, and that's something that I always like to make a plug about. Because there's a lot of taking advantage that occurs in religious work. remember talking several years ago to my friend who is a, a missionary in Turkey. All right, been there for many, many years. I asked him, I said, tell me your opinion of, the, of your co-workers. How is the work in the land among the other missionaries? And he said, 80% of them should go home. They don't do anything. It's terrible. It's terrible. If you receive any remuneration for the work of ministry, whether through Devar Emmett or JFJ or whatever, okay, UMJC, whatever. All right, you want to make sure you're working 150% before God's eyes in what you're doing, and that, of course, is is a personal thing. But have that mentality of of uh, of making sure working really at the fullest capacity, serving the Lord our God. All right. The second set of instructions we see in verse three. This is very practical. Verse 3, it says, If anyone passes on a different teaching and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, and with the instruction in keeping with godliness, he is prideful, understanding nothing. Instead, he is obsessed with arguments and disputes about words, out of which come envy, strife, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people corrupted in mind and deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it. But having food and clothing, with these things we shall be content. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some longing for it have gone astray from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows." 
Here we have a very interesting presentation, really, from Shaul in regards to money. Uh, the one thing that is a constant teaching in the New Covenant text, and you see it out in, in, in uh, materials, books and materials uh, from the believing community that stretch into the second century, is that those who are true followers of God in religious work, those who have a responsibility as teachers, as shlichim, as emissaries, uh, uh, those people serving the believing community should not seek personal wealth. The biggest indictment against American evangelicalism. I can't say this about the Messianic movement because most of us don't make any money. But in American evangelicalism, the indictment is too many religious leaders make way too much money. Way too much money. Now I understand the whole concept of providing resource for people to be able to live. I'm all in favor of that. I don't think any congregational leader should be the poorest person in the congregation. Neither should they be the richest. Being somewhere in the middle makes sense. But for people involved in religious work to be able to afford multiple homes and $1,500 suits that they don't get at Suits 2020, right, is, is a shanda. It's a shanda. There are people in religious work who truly believe that godliness is a means toward gain. They are known as charlatans. And the world is full of them. People in religious work should never, ever think in terms of accumulating wealth for themselves as a result of their ministry service. So those of you who are hoping to get rich in, in religious work, forget it. You really, because if you really do pursue it, as it says here, you'll be in trouble. Ultimately, God judges. I think it's interesting when I, I, I can't stand the televangelist scene on TV. You know, was it not too long ago? I think it was Grassley from Iowa. Uh, one of the IRS to basically go after the five top televangelists. And you know what's sad to me? is those televangelists are still on TV, but the indictment against them was horrific. They all owned multiple mansions and fancy cars. All gain, unnecessary gain. Stealing money that could go for ministry work, needy people, using it on themselves. So, you know... Those involved in ministry work of any kind need to understand that ministry is not about making money. In fact, what's really good is it says, now godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment. He kind of makes, a, I think, a wonderful statement here. Verse 7, too. That's verse 6. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, so we can't take anything out of it. You know, all of us, whether we are, we are in religious work or in, in, in just work. Uh, let's just call it work. It's the, it's the mindset we need to have. Contentment. When I was in sales a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away... All right, it was all about making as much money as you can make. It's sales. You're involved in a business. I think of Todd and, and, and owns his company. You want to be as successful as you can be. A successful company can definitely bring glory to God. 
What's wrong with making a profit if you're making it honestly? It, you know, I have a friend of mine who owns multiple businesses. The guy, I've told him repeatedly, all, everything he does turns to money. But it's not about personal accumulation. It's about serving God in what God has you doing. You know, uh, 20, whatever, been 25 years ago, before I became a believer, all I wanted to be was a businessman and a politician. All right, I've been running businesses when I was, since I was about five. Go talk to my mother. She'll tell you all the stories. <laughs> and extra ones, too. And, and yet, today, I, I, my mindset has just totally changed. I'd be a lousy businessman today. I've just, God has changed me very much from what I was. But I understand absolutely the importance in business of making money and profit that makes sense i would say in whatever job you're in you want to be hopefully god willing in a position where you can provide for yourself there's nothing wrong with making money there's absolutely nothing wrong with it especially for those of you who are looking for jobs nothing wrong with making money okay it's all about the motivation and the mindset behind it is it about personal accumulation, as it says here in this text? Is it, is it all about uh, making more and more so that you can trust more and more in your wealth or be able to, to show off your wealth? Being financially responsible for oneself is godly. I'm going to say that again. Being financially responsible for oneself is godly. Being preoccupied with one's own financial security at the expense of others and God's instructions regarding generosity is ungodliness. And it doesn't mean you have to make a lot of money to be ungodly. Some of the most ungodly people I know don't make a lot of money because they're stingy. It's not the amount. It's the motivation. False teachers recognize with their preoccupation with personal financial gain is sad. But that can be said also about business people. Believers who are business people. It was a great rabbinic story. I was going to share it, but it's way too long. About, uh, about a stingy, wealthy man. All right? You know, it, it's, it, some men are very stingy. I want to read, though, a couple of quotes. Some wealthy people are very stingy. All right, it's really true. I do know another fellow who, who, who's very capable of giving, but he only gives up to what he can deduct from the IRS. That's not the way to do giving, especially if you're making a lot of money. But here, I've got two quotes from John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller, in the late 1800s, was at one time, if, they, if you figure it all out, he was the wealthiest man who ever lived. The wealthiest man who ever lived. Isn't that awesome? I'd like him as a friend. Okay? But what I really like, these are real quotes. So, you know, I think some people, you know, they, they quote people, but it's not accurate. This is, these are two quotes from this man. I know of nothing more despicable and pathetic than a man who devotes all the hours of the waking day to the making of money for money's sake. That's a great quote. That is pathetic to just make money for money's sake. You know, if you're in a situation where you have a business, I've told my one friend who owns all these businesses, he's getting older and he's getting fed up with it. I said, I said, friend, because I'm not going to mention his name, I said, you have this amazing opportunity in your businesses to provide employment for all these people. You have the gift to make money and they have the abilities to help you do it, but they, they make a, a good wage because you make it all happen. 
Do we understand how we play a role? The accumulation of wealth for wealth's sake, that's a problem. But making money because of the big picture, that makes sense. Rockefeller made a lot of money. He also has this amazing foundation which still exists to this day. A second quote, I believe, this is a good quote for us, I believe it is a religious duty to get all the money you can, fairly and honestly, to keep all you can, read IRS there, and to give away all you can. Now think about that, that's great. That's a great quote. It is our duty to get all the money you can, fairly and honestly, keep all you can, give away all you can. It's almost reminiscent of the fact that God says to Adam, you're going to till the ground. You're going to work. You ever see in the biblical text, working is really something that is, that is elevated. We have a responsibility to work. Working is good for us. It makes us creative. It, of course, keeps us active. Nowadays, it keeps us away from the TV set. Working is good for us. And the end should be accumulation of resource, so then you can, you can give it away. You may have never thought about this, but isn't that the basis of what we see in the biblical text when, we, when it comes to resources? All the generosity we see displayed in the biblical text? Hopefully you are generous, and not just in thinking in terms of tithing. But when you go to a restaurant, are you the last one to offer to pay? When you go to a restaurant and you know you have to split the bill, are you the one trying to calculate how you can get out of spending that extra 2 or $3, let everyone else pay? That's not generosity. It's not gener generosity. is always thinking about how you can be a blessing with what God has blessed you with. And, done in, and just doing it in different ways. All right? I, and these are great quotes from a guy who often people look at him and, and think he was a stingy guy. I mean, uh, you should understand, look at uh, the wealthiest guy in our world, which is Bill Gates. G Gates is incredibly generous, just so you know. Not only has he set up his foundation, but in every way the man throws money. He throws money around. He, he really does. Now he has a huge house for himself and his family. But the bottom line is, is, is that I know that as an individual, he's no hoarder. He's a generous man. Of course, he has, what, like $80 billion or something? Okay, but whatever you have, are you generous with what you have? Can I'll tell you this. You may go, man, if I had $80 billion and I'd give. Well, if you have $20 today, do you give? Are you generous today? Because see, if you're not generous today, you ain't going to be generous later. That's the principles. It, it's really true. If you're not a generous person with the little bit you have, you certainly will not be generous with what you have later on, if it's a lot. All right? Always learning to be gener generous, because that's what God's instruction is for us. All right? Take a look here. Take a look at verse 11. But you, O man of God, and he's speaking here specifically to Timothy. We're reading a personal letter from Shaul, to his son in the faith, Timothy. But you, O man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. I love that. Fight the good fight of faith. Get out there and be aggressive about it. Take hold of the eternal life. You were called to it. You were called, you were called to it. I like that too. Take hold. 
You are called. It's a calling. And you made the good confession for it in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you before God who gives life to all things and Messiah Yeshua who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. This he will reveal in his own time, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in an approachable light, whom no man has seen or is able to see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Direct those who are rich in this present age not to be proud or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Direct them to do good to be rich in good deeds and be generous, sharing, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the future so they might take hold of the true life. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, turning away from pointless chatter and the contradictions of so-called knowledge by professing it. Some have missed the mark concerning the faith. Grace be with you. So just to follow up and finish it off, Uh, Point three is this personal instructional challenge to Timothy. First of all, an exhortation to godliness. Pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. All that good stuff. To pursue it. Go after it. Like you would a club burger from the sandwich club. You know, to pursue with an aggressive appeal. That thing that is not tangible, godliness... Like you do the tangible things that you pursue. That aggressive, passionate desire to do the things that really God would want you to do. And then the tenaciousness of fulfilling your ministry. There is a ministry that each one of you has to do. God has something for each one of us to do. You need to make sure you are pursuing that tenaciously, passionately. And it's going to vary with each one of us. Everybody's different. That's what makes it all wonderful. We all have different abilities, different gifts, different interests, different ideas. I'm perfect, of course. I've got everything. No. But you know what I mean. And so the idea is to pursue with tenaciousness, real aggression, the ministry God has for you to do. Those with wealth, in verses 17 through 19, do not think, oh, that's the rich guys. Gold Coast, Kenilworth. No, it's you. (laughs) Nobody in this place is poor. We are, historically speaking, wealthy people. Now, you may not be as wealthy as the guys on the Gold Coast and over in Kenilworth, but we need to make sure that we are practicing these principles of doing good. Good deeds, generosity, sharing. Because all these are related to storing up for ourselves, as Yeshua said, treasure in heaven. We need to have that kind of motivated understanding. We are wealthy. Thank you, God, for all that you've given to me, and I want to be generous with others. There's no need for anybody in this room to be thinking of themselves as a victim or a taker. We all need to understand that we are wealthy people, blessed by the Lord our God, and we need to therefore practice generosity toward others. And in the last is this last statement in verses 20 and 21, to remain faithful to the truth. The reality is in our workplaces, like in colleges and other things, we are always under attack. The real world wants to destroy your faith. The real world wants to divert you from God and His ways. You must hold strongly to the truth. The truth of God's instruction. Don't allow... 
different ideologies, beliefs, cynicisms about God and his scriptures to wear down your faith in God's truth. Because if you allow that, you will lose your faith. I've seen people lose their faith or come darn close to it. All right, you need to hold fast to the simple, true reality of God's instructions here, and that's the final statement that God ha- or that Paul has for Timothy. So, how do we wrap it all up here? Serving God is a choice. Serving God is a choice. We understand that. All right, in the real world that we live in, you know, it's very easy to be religious. We come, we sit, we stand, we sit, and then we leave into reality. And hopefully, though. When you leave this place, you take this place with you. You take the reality of your relationship with God with you into the everyday work of your lives, whether that's schoolwork or work work. It's not an easy choice to follow God. It's not an easy choice to follow God. Don't ever think it's easy following God. It's not. Because it certainly our actions and our efforts are not going to be in line with what the rest of the world is valuing. But the first challenge I want to make is for you to make sure that you have a solid testimony for Messiah on the job. Are you known as being a hardworking, honest, diligent employee? Whether you're in a job you like or a job you hate, do you have a good reputation for God in your work? And if you work for yourself... Not to pick on Todd, but he's a... If you work for yourself, all right? I guess Barry, too. Or Bob, you work for yourself. I mean, uh, Barry, you work for yourself, too. You know, as an employee, employer, I can say this now in a plural sense. As an employer, do you have a reputation for being a godly employer? An understanding employer? A generous employer? I know Justice would appreciate that. So... But our testimony for God in regards to our work environment, that's a critical one. That's a critical one. Because often that's where believers will kind of kind of slide a little bit. You know, our language is a bit different on the job than it is back at the synagogue. Or in our home even. All right? Or we, we, we're a little gray in the numbers. Because, you know, it, it's just, it, this is business, for crying out loud. We need to make sure that there's a consistency, that our testimony for Messiah is bright and clear. Second, don't be obsessed with money. Don't be obsessed with money. Although I encourage you to make sure you manage it well. Be responsible with what God has given you. If you haven't done a personal inventory in your finances, if you don't budget, it's 2015. I didn't give my annual uh, speech about goals this year. Some of you will have noticed that. But I will say that if you do not budget... Personally, you should start budgeting. All right? And if you have investments and you haven't paid much attention to it, you need to make sure you look. All right? You need to be personally responsible with all that God has blessed you with. All right? And then finally, pursue godliness and the values of God, both for this world and for the world to come. Pursue God's values in your life. Allow the scriptures to come alive in you in such a way that wherever you go and all the walking and talking of your life, that people can see that you're different. Because today, if you're really living out God's instruction, it's going to be obvious to the people around you. That's where our testimony is, and that's where God wants our testimony to be. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. I thank you, God, for the fact that we can work 
that we all can work, that we can do things that are meaningful and, and, and productive and receive remuneration for it for the most part. And so, God, we thank you for that. I pray that each one of us would see the ministry value of our place of employment, that we would be diligent servants for you in those places as your testimony. And then, God, I do pray that we would understand in a deeper level that you have blessed us and that therefore what we have is really just what you've entrusted to us. Help us, God, to be responsible for it. Help us to be wise. Help us to be generous. Help us to be uh, wise in what we do with what you blessed us with. So again, I thank you for the practicality of your scriptures. Help us, God, to live it out each and every day of our lives. We pray this all in Yeshua's name.